When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Time to play with pain. Hosted by Emmy-winning comedian and writer Jeff Cesario. Interviewing guests from comedy, entertainment, and sports. Plus, legendary sportscaster Chet Waterhouse. Don't worry, this shouldn't take longer than your average trip to Costco. And now, here's your host... Jeff Cesario. Oh, you're having a good day. This can be a good podcast. We're talking golf and worst gigs and a bunch of stuff with the great Bill Shaft, who was David Letterman's go-to guy for uh, many years. Tremendous author and stand-up in his own right. We're going to have uh, Billy jump in just a second. But first, Chet, uh, what's going on in the world of sports? Everything! It's life itself, for God's sake! Time for the Waterhouse Update, sponsored by Par Mitzvah, the golf method that'll make a man out of you. NCAA Tournament, Kansas versus North Carolina. If their blood were any bluer, Nosferatu would skip them and head straight for the hors d'oeuvres. Jayhawks win! Tar Heels win! Duke coach Mike Shazavesky <laughs> arrested after attempting to cut down the nets anyway by himself. Uh, that wrap-up sponsored by Cataraction, the dating app for people with blurry vision. <laughs> NBA, the Lakers are so old, their team bus is a Chrysler Imperial. They're, <laughs> they're so old, they took out a reverse mortgage on the Staples Center. <laughs> There's a Crestor dispenser in the locker room, for God's sake. They can't make the playoffs because their church choir's going on retreat. They're old, I'm telling you. Sponsored by Curly Ringlets, heavy metal singer for hire. NFL! Draft day not coming soon enough for the legions of fans who've had to actually work at their regular jobs for the last three or four weeks. Cleveland going all out for Deshaun Watson, Bill. They've built a throwing facility right into the Cuyahoga County Courthouse. That item sponsored by Can I Get a Fitness. Go to church and work out at the same time with Can I Get a Fitness. And finally, this week in sports history, the year 1908, the place Chicago, Illinois, Frank Gotch wins the World Wrestling Championship in a two-hour bout. The coroner was unable to identify the loser. This Waterhouse Update sponsored by Dick Tucker's Women's Clothes for Men. Back to you, Jeff. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you, Chet. That was uh, that was a good one there today. I was good. my guest today, great writer, comedian, Manhattan Bon Vivant, and drummer with uh, a group called the Truants, who are working. He's going to tell you all about. the great Bill Chef. Bill, how are you today? Oh, I, I don't know if I get. I, I we we haven't talked about how Chet took the demotion. Oh, from doing, doing the whole update, yeah. But I yeah. think it's better. I think it's better. Yeah. 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 He does, too, because it gives him a chance to uh, not pay attention, which right. is one of his strengths. I-, I think it's like when they moved Frank Gifford from analyst to play by play on Monday Night Football, because mm. he really he really didn't have any analysis. And it was better for him <laughs> just to describe it, because yeah. all it really was, was, oh, we got a good one tonight. It was that. That was it. That was yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the that was yeah. the analysis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow. Great catch. That kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not really fly too well. So Chet's good because he gets to snack and then he pops in every now and then, you know, with a sponsor. Hey, sponsor. That was sponsored by the Dollar Confederate Statue Store. Back to you guys. <laughs> so, see, he gets- <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And, you know, he can, you know, he keeps his energy. Yeah. yeah. That's just fun. He's not he's not under the weight of the production anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really, yeah. No, yeah. I'm happy for him. This yeah. is a good thing. This no, is uh, thing. yeah. To, to take that traffic cop stuff it, off his plate is really, right. really smart. It's it's not a demotion. It's a re-imaging. That's yeah, the way so, I look yeah. at it. Yeah. We're, re, we're rebranding, Chad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so listen, uh, before we dive into some other stuff, uh, we're taping just prior to the NCAA championships. But... We've got the the Blue Bloods have just come to the fore in a year when everybody said, hey, everybody's got a chance. You're right. Everybody, yeah. Look, every, the, everybody's down. The, the big powers are down and somebody could sneak through and nobody snuck through. Right. Right. And, and you know, I used to uh, I still peek in and I love uh, uh, North Carolina. My brother went to school there. In the uh, in the late '60s, when they the first time they were in the Final Four, when they went to finals against uh, Lou Alcindor, his uh, his junior year, wow! And uh, so I've followed them ever since. So I'm a big Tar Heel fan, but I sort of stay away from college basketball. I used to love it, but two things have put me off on it. Uh, first of all, just it's college basketball; it's just not as good. And if I want to see uh, miss free throws. I'll just do a selfie video on myself. Yeah, yeah. that's and and it's just not as good. And the other thing is, I just can't deal with the young people in the audience. You know, it's (laughs) like it's like (laughs) too much. I was a stand up for 13 years and and everything was going fine. And then one day I walked on stage and I was 10 years older than everyone. And that only got. Yeah. So it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, you do look around and there, uh, there's, you know, there's just always eight guys painted in solid green and blue and yeah, <laughs> which, which yeah. isn't even the school colors. They're no. just, they're no, just, just drunk <laughs> at 11 a.m. <laughs> a Big Ten tilt between Minnesota and Nebraska. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't my matter. Brother- my brother was in a fraternity, the only Jewish fraternity in North Carolina, with Fast Eddie Fogler, who was uh, Charlie Scott's backcourt mate yeah. on that UNC team, and then was a long time 
assistant coach to uh, Dean Smith. So I, I know, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, that whole era very well. That's back when uh, the NCAA would actually let you have a nickname like Fast Eddie Fogler. Yeah, that's right. Before realizing <laughs> that's a huge gambling tip. Right. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that was when that was when uh, uh, they, you know, not like the NCAA. That's when they actually made money off the players. Not like <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's all changed for the worse for the yeah. NCAA. <laughs> Yeah. Hey guys, I mean, sponsored Ed- by that one's sponsored by a gentleman preferred gentleman, the all gentlemen's gentlemen's club. Uh, <laughs> That's before Ed O'Bannon changed his legal name to People versus Ed O'Bannon. <laughs> How many got that? Good. So. <laughs> a lot of those young kids you were talking about, they, yeah, just, right. left, they right. just left the podcast. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> if they were ever here to begin yeah. with. All right, let's uh, let's dive in a little bit on on you. You're 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 doing stand you're doing stand up first, and is it through stand up that you slide into the Letterman gig? Right, right. I I was I was the the only guy uh, in the history of Harvard University that went to Harvard and couldn't get a job writing for television. So I. <laughs> Because I chose to write for the paper rather than the lampoon. So I was a stand up for 13 years. The first six years, I loved it. And, I, you know, we were around at the same time. And when right. the comedy boom hit and you could really make a living and you were on the road 40 weeks a year and it was great. And then about six and a half years in, I realized, oh, I'm an introvert. And that really was when <laughs> it started to get in the way. And um it took me a long time. I, you know, I, I submitted to the Letterman show five times between, you know, 1983 and 1988. Then I took a couple of years off and <laughs> sure. then on the, the sixth went time, back down to the minors. They, yeah, they, they, on the sixth time they hired me and the first, um, and, and, uh, I just submitted some jokes and the first joke of mine Dave ever did was, and this is how long ago it was. It's 1991. And the joke was, well, Elizabeth Taylor and her new husband, Larry Fortensky, had their first fight. It was over whether or not he should unpack. And <laughs> I, got hired. I got hired a week later. And I, uh, I'm, I be, I'm the second longest tenured writer in the history of the show. Steve Young, the great writer, Steve Young, got hired a year before me. So he had 25 years. I had 24. And, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was I was uh, I was very lucky. I was very lucky. Yeah. But how did you then maneuver into a position of essentially, uh, you know, you're Dave Dravecki, you're a pitching coach right off camera. You, oh, you that, well, almost yeah, that, every monologue right. of his career uh, for, for your I should say for your stint there, you're on the side. Doing, I, you know, encouraging and, and you know, throw, you know, occasionally jumping out there during commercial breaks and, uh, you know, warm, warming him up. Uh, you know, what, what are you doing in those breaks? Well, it's interesting because when I was a stand up, I had the uh, the David say attitude toward I had the 45. I had the hour that worked 
And right. until it wasn't going to bring in the money, then, you know, maybe I'd change, maybe I'd add five minutes a year because it, when it worked, it worked and you were on the road. And yeah. that. so I was not a prolific writer, but when I started working for Dave, all of a sudden it was just a different muscle. It's the, um, it's the quick twitch muscle rather than the marathon muscle. And, and I remember because I was like every writer that gets hired, I'm afraid I'm going to get fired. So I kept doing stand up for about a year, a year and a half. And I remember I would go to these gigs on the weekend and I would be driving to the cast or wherever I was going. And I would think, let me get this straight. I, I wrote 40 new minutes for a guy and now I'm in a car and I'm going to do my <laughs> shitty little act that I've been doing. For, and it just didn't make any sense. But um, so it it be, it just became about generating as much material as you can. And your mind just switch it because don't confuse. I know you won't, but don't confuse doing a monologue with doing stand up because a monologue, mm. the jokes were written that day. If you're lucky, you rehearsed them twice. And then you go out there and they go into the air and they disappear. And meanwhile, yeah. when you do stand up, you know, you get a laugh on a joke that you've been honing for for five years. Yeah. Plus, with with uh, talk show monologues, the, the audience has a, a different subconscious set of parameters. They understand intrinsically. Some of these jokes are going to bomb and the person hosting will have a funny way to deal with that. Right. Some of right. them will be really good and some of them will be right in the center. I mean, th the audience understands you're going to get a 10 once a month. You know? I mean, a right. real true 10 joke. Oh, right. Once a right. month, you're going to get a, an eight and a nine, maybe one or two every monologue tops. And then you're going to get a lot of sixes and sevens that turn into funny jokes because of the framework of a talk show model. Right. And, and you brought in an interesting point, because late in the in the life of the show, Dave would occasionally repeat jokes in the monologue that he had done a couple of nights before. that had gotten a big response and people were up in arms about it. And Dave's point was, look, I talked to the guy at CBS, the ratings guy. And he said, the audience is not the same from <laughs> night to night. So why not do a joke that, you know, he was thinking yeah. like a, uh, like a standup. Yeah. He was thinking like, like he's doing Vegas, you know, at right. some point where you go, Hey, I'm doing it again. But I don't know if you would experience this, but this is around when I was still, you know, a very active standup, like 90 or 91. And the comedy boom, which, of course, was helped and hindered by the proliferation of stand-ups on TV. Just yeah. the proliferation. And so people were conditioned. In that. And I remember being on stage at the Improv in New York. And I was, and, you know, comics say this, they, they never mean it, but I was killing. I was <laughs> killing. And at exactly the six-minute mark, the audience went away because the audience was literally back in their living rooms. Well, when's, right. where's the next guy? Wow. Yeah. And I really had to um, work to get him back. And I remember one night uh, again, I'm on stage, the improv, <laughs> and it's clear very early that it's, it's not my night. <laughs> and so I you didn't of, have your good I, stuff, I, but I got to do, I got to do my 20 and, sure. and I lock in and I finish up and I walk 
off stage, and Larry David, before he was Larry David, the industry, is standing at the back of the club, and he looks at me and he says, "You, you have an autopilot. I would kill for." Because <laughs> Larry regularly stormed off the stage. Yeah, I saw uh, Larry when I first uh, visited New York. I never lived in New York. Um, I would just as a, a stand-up early in my career, I would go visit my brother who lived in New York, crash on his floor, and I'd go hit the clubs and see if I could get anywhere. I didn't know anybody. You know, I was I was not had no visibility at the time. But uh, the New York guys were the first guys to kind of take me under their wing uh, because they, you know, it was just easier. I was alone in a corner at the catch, well, and Louis Ferranda went. You need a beer. And I said, yes, I would love a beer. I was so broken and shy that I was just, and then other guys just started talking. And then once I started to do some guest sets, guys went, oh, this guy's funny. We get it. He writes jokes. He writes. I I remember that. I remember because here's the thing. I believe back then every comic in New York wanted to be a comic and every comic in LA wanted to be something else. I mean, that's just Mm. With rare exception. Right. And I yeah. think the first time I saw you, it wasn't a catch. The first time I saw you was at the old Carolines on 27th. Right. Right. Eighth. Yeah. And you did that Ed Marinaro bit. And, you know, it's <laughs> like, come on, really? This guy, I could write for the rest of my life and not come up with the Ed Marinaro bit. Uh, yeah. And it just. Yeah. That's. I uh, yeah. That, yeah. And uh, and I felt that there. So I got comfortable in New York and then I was allowed to just hang in the back of the room and watch other comics. And I will never forget Larry David going up one night. And uh, and I said, well, I, I got I got to see Larry. Everybody always talks about Larry. He's, he's he's this kind of quirky genius before again, before he was Larry David, the industry. He w- He was just this sort of eccentric comic in New York. And he walked up, he gets introduced, walks up and, you know. I think the MCs, that's back when the MCs had power in, in the clubs. We booked and the show. You Cat, booked the show and you would and wait. And yeah. Jake, we booked the show. Yeah. You would wait until a crowd was there before you did your 20. So the first part of the show, it was a couple of lines and then boom, get the guys going, get the young ones up there and get it moving. And, and uh, so there was a, there was a, uh, a sort of a joy to introducing Larry David. I could sense from him because right. they would give him almost a Vegas step. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, they would build him a, and a, he's a regular here. One of the greats, Larry David. And so Larry gets his big buildup and he comes and he's so introverted. He's just on stage and he starts in on a joke and someone in the crowd literally. <clears throat> yeah. And he went, that's it. And he left. Right. He, left. he got a cough out of the <laughs> He just left. No, He's I, 23 seconds in. Yeah. It, it was notorious. the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Right. When I, I passed Audition to Catch in, in the summer of 1981, and then so I become a regular, which means you hang out till two in the morning and maybe you get on or whatever. And then what I did not know is that around December, all the New York comics that had moved to L.A. come back to see their families. So, you know, it was always a great show at Catch, but it was that much better. So one night I'm in the bar and people are whispering, Larry David. Is, and, and this is 19, you know, this is 1981. And he was I think Fridays was off the air. Right. And uh, and he is 
pacing in the bar. He is pacing back and forth. And Ron Zimmerman, who I know, you know, yeah, Ron, yeah. I'm just watching this. And Ron Zimmerman says, uh, hey, uh, what's with the pacing? And Larry David looks at him and says, do you know Woody Allen used to throw up before he went on? And I said, oh, I got to go in and see this. And so <laughs> they bring him up and it's and you know what it was like a catch. It's yeah. 10 o'clock. It's prime time. It's, it's packed. packed. There's an energy. And Adrian, my late wife, Adrian told, brings him on stage and they recognize him from Fridays and they go crazy. And he, and he had the first three lines in his act were, were never fail. You know, it was like, you know, you know what they say about attractive people? We're not well liked. And then it was, you know, <laughs> can I use the two form with you people? Cause instead is too formal. And so big laugh, 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 laugh. And then one, a joke. Yeah, it doesn't do that well. And Larry goes, is it, is it hot in here? Then he does a joke that kills. And then another joke doesn't work. It's very, very hot in here. <laughs> and then he jo- does a joke that kills. And then two jokes do to, you know, you, you pay these prices and the air conditioning is faulty. And then again, it's really hot. And then somebody in the audience, it wasn't a cough, but somebody in the audience said, hey, what's your problem? What's my problem? I'll tell you what my problem is. You know, you fucked it. And then storms off. And that was the first time I saw. And, and, and of course, I'm an idiot. I think, wow, I was really here on a very special night. No, it was Wednesday. Yeah. It was Larry David night. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, all right, let's let's dive into some sports for the hell of it. We got the Masters going up this week. I know you. I know it's it's a sport you love. It and it's near and dear to my heart. My uncle Herbert Warren Wynn, the dean of American golf writer, was was the man that coined the term "Amen Corner" in 1958. So I know a lot about the Masters, and uh, he covered every Masters from the forties up until about 1986 or, and then he was a sideline. So uh, I had him come to my apartment and, and watch the, the masters. So it was like being there because he knew every wow. lady. Yeah. Wow. And, and at one point, so now the leaders come to 11 and Steve Melnick says, here we are at uh, amen corner, a term made famous by the golf laureate, Herbert Warren win. And he looks at me and he says, Oh Christ, I owe Melnick money now. And <laughs> he hated any kind of attention. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about my uncle with the masters. He hated the old 17th hole. He thought it was horrible and he hated Vern Lundquist. So here we are. And now it's, it's the final day and let's go out and let's meet our correspondents Hi, I'm Gary McCord at 15, and I'm Ben Wright at 16, and I'm Vern Lundquist at 17. And my uncle screams, that's a good spot for you, Vern. I mean, it's just <laughs> crazy. But I, 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 love, I love the Masters. I love all the lingo. You know, they're not spectators. They're patrons. Yeah. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the rough. It's the second cut. <laughs> yeah. Greg Norman didn't choke in 1996. He, no, he choked. He choked. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. There's no other word for that. Yeah. Hey, guys, uh, uh, those are respectful 
historic anecdotes sponsored by Nugentix wiener <laughs> pills directly from Ted Nugent <laughs> and porn on the cob. Iowa's number one adult store. Didn't mean to step on the reverential uh, master's discussion. Go back to it. Wow. <laughs> Let's well, talk. Who, who do we recognize anymore? I mean, there's some talk tiger may play. He may not. I know he had a press conference actually this very morning. Um, but you know, they're drifting away. Even the second and third generation of dynamic golfers that we knew that you recognize that are beyond golf, that get into society, whether it's through advertising, through acting, through talk show appearances, whatever. Is there another generation that is ready to do that? And is the PGA sort of holding them back at this stage? I think it's a little of both, but I I think that it's, it's so uh, there's so much coverage now of golf and it's a different guy atop the leaderboard every week. And, and, and people emerge for a little while. You know, it's funny. We're talking about Larry David. I did a piece about him for golf digest a few years ago, and we watched the masters together. And this was the one that Jordan Spieth won. And, 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 and Larry was, was, <laughs> was kind of impressed with Jordan until he took his cap off. And he said to me, Oh, he is going to be wildly bold. He has, he has got to get on this now. Cause let me tell you something, my friend, you know, a five foot putt for a masters. That's nothing compared to the hair in the sink in the morning. I mean, he went crazy, but you've reminded me. Cause I really thought that Jordan speed, I thought his whole manner uh, that he was going to ascend, that he was really unflappable. Yeah. But, you know, the game is, it's it's so technical now it's so technical in the slightest you know i forget what they call it you know when you uh in auto racing when you just give that quarter turn and it's it's wrong you need an eighth turn yeah to the the front wing yeah the analytics have have taken over uh and i'm not sure if the human factor will bounce back as strongly as it ever did in, in past decades. I mean, I don't know. Not only will you never see a Tony Lima or a a Julius Boros walking around the court course with their own literally, you know, case of Winston's, you know, and just chain smoking and having a pop. My uncle, my uncle hated the equipment and, 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 you know, he hated all the changes to the equipment. And, and, you know, let me tell you something, when you see Bryson DeChambeau plumb bobbing with a three wood off the tee, <laughs> no, I mean, it's crazy. It yeah. doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and I think that like tennis, which also has had its equipment issues, you know, the good people are always going to be the good people when they change the equipment so let's throttle it back. I mean, John McEnroe, to his everlasting credit, tried to get them to switch back to wooden rackets, you yeah. know, and because, uh, the, yeah, the good people are going to be the good people. But I think that's there's a lot of ego involved there. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a great game. By the way, don't confuse Amen Corner with the side pocket on. John Daly's golf bag. That's M&M corner. Uh, M&M M&M corner. Different. Yeah. But I mean, where is that's you know, J and B corner <laughs> was John Daly. Was he the last bigger than life? I mean, pre. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, I can't think of anybody else who might even be able to make a run at it. Uh, I, I'm not sure we'll ever see a Freddie Couples again. Someone oh. who's just easygoing, uh, take take everything in stride. Kid comes out of the gallery. You know, I don't even think we'll we'll get to that level of personality. And and, and forget personality, Freddie Couples. A swing you can relate to. Yeah. It's a swing. It's a swing you aspire to. And I think that it's it's a uh, it's a different. I, I also think the, um, you know, it's it's become very crude. I mean, I don't want to say, but, you know, with the crowds, it's 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 a very it's it sounds differently. So I think these guys become movie stars in, you know, and not good movie stars. <laughs> right. They're, right. They're more guarded. And it's really it's really it, it's it's too bad. That's why I do like the. um uh, the only thing that's gotten better to me is the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. That's presented better to me. And that, yeah, it seems to be something a little more familiar to me. Yeah, the the um, the progress in equipment uh, is making the game something else. It's a different kind of golf now. And the real downside of that, in addition to watching golf and maybe not getting as much personality as I would like out of the game, uh, and then they cut the the, the announcers with personality. It's hard to find Gary McCord or David Faraday anymore. You know, really calling big important matches. But the real downside is you have now got absolute cannon fire hardware in the hands of complete rank horrible amateurs like us. I mean, I still golf with clubs I got 20 years ago because that suits my game. I mean, you put a, you know, a driver with a head the size of a plate of spaghetti. Yeah. That's what you need. That's what people should be golfing. This is the McGregor MCX. These were my father's irons. These are 50 years old. And when I, when I tell, you know, the caddy or anybody, I said, look, it's it's not the arrow. It's the Indian. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. It, they say to me, let me tell you something. You know, I know what you're saying, but you can't hit the new balls with that club. You wow. just can't. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to, because it doesn't make any, it doesn't, you know, if I was doing this for a living or if I was, yeah, I would want, I, I will say I have a couple of, I have a couple of those, the hybrids and they're going to help you out. Yeah. And um, but all of this firepower in the hands of, you know, an insurance adjuster who gets out twice a month. It's the Hunger Games out there now. Every public course is just ow! look out. Oh, God, run for cover. It's insane. Balls are being sprayed everywhere at one hundred and fifty miles an hour. It's crazy. No, I I, uh, it's uh, you know, I don't know how my parents were great golfers my mother this is a great story about my uncle again my mother shot her age at 77 wow and i told her brother herb win i said hey how about your sister giddy shooting her age at 77 long pause it's great to play alone isn't it so i mean you know accusing his sister of cheating it's so, and, and I grew refreshing up, to know right. that a guy so revered yeah. in the business toss it off like that has I, the timing 
of a classic old sports writer. You yeah. know what I mean? No. Those guys were were in a sense the the, the modern uh, rhythm stand up comic. Those guys would and they fire had, a punch. They had nothing. They had nothing but time. They had nothing but time. My my younger brother, uh, uh, who's a pretty good player that doesn't play enough, used to say to my uncle, "Boy, what are the what are the guys?" What do the golfers say when when you come up to them and want to interview them? And Herb said, "They say, where's the guy from Sports Illustrated?" <laughs> <laughs> they don't go rope the New Yorker for God. But but I don't know how you grew up, but this is how I grew up. Golf was you throw your shoes in the back seat, you drive twenty minutes, you put your shoes on, you get around in three and a half hours. Right, right. That's what but, I grew up with. Yeah, that, that's gone. That, now. that does not that does not exist. No, it's a, it's about a day and a half commitment now. Yeah, uh, they have a sleeping bag that actually winds up around your golf umbrella. You can you can velcro it to the side of your bag. It's ridiculous. It's I haven't been out in so long. And again, I, I, yeah, Lad, this is. I went to the range. I went yeah. to the range uh, uh, the other day, and I and I just it, it, it was insane the way people were hitting balls off the tees. I mean, it, it sounded like a firing range. Right. It, you know, it sounded like a gun range. No, I was no, like, I want to take a little time between balls. No, no, and, no. And, and those and those drivers, it, they, it looks like something we shot down over Iraq. Those yeah. things. Yeah, it, yeah it's just it's, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. But I'll tell you, this is another Larry David story claims that one of the reasons that he had to get divorced was that he couldn't pretend when he came back from golf, he couldn't pretend to his wife that he wasn't exhausted. <laughs> you know, he had to, you know, that he was up for everything that he was. <laughs> and he didn't feel that was one of the reasons. Yeah. He couldn't pretend he was. It's an exhaust. Uh, it's an exhaust yeah. day. Oh my God. Uh, hey guys, that, uh, that observation, another Larry David observation sponsored by Jehovah's Witness Protection. Disappear into the warm grip of the Lord at Jehovah's Witness Protection and cold slaughter. We murder cabbage for a killer side dish at cold slaughter. And of course, one of our favorites, Rocket City, the jet blue of space travel. Back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, see i think that, that you've gotten more sponsors since you've moved chet into yeah the yeah he, well we you're don't just have printing, any, you're just yeah. printing your own money now you're like augie bush <laughs> we, we don't have any office help so yeah. now one of us <laughs> can handle the phones and get out there and try to bag some new sponsors because yeah. as chet always says 15 bucks a read uh, Seven fifty if you get it wrong because we're still getting your name out there. <laughs> Even butchered, That's, we're getting like, your name out. I there. like when you know when you're on a show, and you know it might not get picked up because first, first they come for the sodas, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they come, then they come for the honey, then they come for the honey, <laughs> the honey yeah. off the craft services table. No honey. Yeah, I sensed it. Uh, I was on the Queen Latifah daytime talk show. And I sensed it come, which was incidentally, she's magnificent. No, she is. She's no, so funny and such a blast. Greatest. Oh, I adore her. Yeah. But if you think late night is cutthroat, 
uh, I'm I'm telling you, daytime brutal no. is is like you know Eastern Europe in 1965. There Absolutely. are spies everywhere. There's, no, they eat their own. They eat yeah. their own in daytime. Yeah, absolutely insane. But I remember that uh, I could sense something was coming because there were meetings, <laughs> sudden impromptu meetings at levels much higher than me. <laughs> you know, like like one one week, all of a sudden, all the executive producers aren't in the office, and then they come back, and then the next week, all the co execs and the, and the <laughs> supervising producers. They're all gone, and then they're back. And then, uh, then the, the, th- the third level was when they called us all into the studio. And I went, well, this doesn't look good. No. <laughs> gone. Then. Right then. Jeff, uh, Jeff Goldblum tells a story about being on Broadway in, I think it was a musical, Merlin, and they do two weeks of previews, and every night, full up, standing ovation, two weeks <laughs> Uh, the show opens, gets panned in the Times, and then the next morning he is awakened at eight o'clock by the producer. And th- this is the entire phone call. Jeff, you know, huh? And the producer says, Hey, you know what? We're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he found out. <laughs> that's horrific. Yeah. Uh, so listen to me. Uh, we got. Uh, I want to talk about this because you have done so many diverse jobs, including writing books, stand-up, uh, you're doing television. You do. You've done a ton of things. When you think of worst gigs, what pops in your head? Well, uh, when I was still doing stand-up, and this is, I'm going to say, this is around '90. This is right before I got the Letterman show. Uh, so my late wife, Adrian Tolsh, and I, we get two separate gigs in, in, in the Catskills and, and she got the better one. She got the gig with a stage. And so, <laughs> and, and, and a nine o'clock showtime. Right. Okay, so she does her thing. And, 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 oh, so now we're backstage. It was a vacation village. It was up in the Catskills and we go backstage in the little room off the stage and she's waiting to go on. And we look around and we see a menorah, which is the, the, the eight candle holder, the, the, the nine candle holder for Hanukkah. The Jewish Christmas tree. The, yeah, and and <laughs> behind this menorah is a lit up sign with the number six million. But it's like, zzz, zzz, <laughs> you know, like an Auschwitz McDonald's. So now she's oh that's God. that's the last thing you see before you go on stage. So she goes on stage. She does great. Now, my show is a little later. My show is at two in the morning at a bungalow colony. And if you're if your uh, listeners or viewers don't know a bungalow, colony, that's the Jews escaped the Nazis so they could come to America and vacation at places that look like concentration camps. So there's a show. There's a show at eight. There's a show at 11 and the 11 o'clock show lets out and everybody goes to gang toity. Now back for the two o'clock show. I am closing the two o'clock show and I am oh. following a hypnotist at two in the morning. So a hypnotist, he gets four people up on stage and he, he puts them out. Now this is a, you know, heavy duty, uh, uh, orthodox thing. And he gets the four people. And one of the bits that he's going to do is, says, okay, we're going to have an, an ice cream licking contest. I'm going to hand each of you and then they're all out. 
I'm going to hand each of you an ice cream cone. And when I say lick, you say, and the one who licks it the best wins the prize. So he gives the first guy, you get vanilla and you get chocolate and you get strawberry. All right. Now he's run out of traditional flavors. And to the fourth guy, he says, and you get heavenly hash. And the guy is out and he goes, no, why not? (laughs) Not kosher. Even (laughs) hypnotized, conforming to dietary law. And like I have to tell you, it didn't go well for me when I hit the stage at 3.05. That's that's powerful Judaism <laughs> that can fight through hypnotism. Yeah, it won yeah. the ism battle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's impressive. Hey, guys, that's sponsored. Oh, Bill, you're going to like this one. Zigzag zip cream. Your zits will never see it coming. Serpentine <laughs> with zigzag zip cream. <laughs> My guest uh, today, a uh, great human being, despite being both a comic and a drummer yeah. and a writer, uh, Bill Sheft. Uh, follow Bill on Twitter at Bill Sheft. And um, where's the website? Because you've got some books out there. If you're looking for a good read this spring, this summer, pick up a Bill Sheft book. I'm telling you, they fly by. They're great books. Uh, and my band, The Truants, April 24th. We're in Philly at the City Winery. Uh, call everyone you've ever known in Philadelphia, the April 24th, Sunday night. That's that sounds good. And the website is is uh, is the truantslive.com. The truantslive.com. And how about uh, yours? My, just billchef.com. Billchef.com. Uh, go to both of those and uh, load up on great stuff. Bill, as always, uh, thanks a ton. It's always oh, a blast. It was a joy. You. It was a joy. I am going to keep having you on until you change blankets on that goddamn couch. <laughs> 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 follow me on twitter at real jeff cesario my album what was i thinking streaming everywhere the play with pain mugs available at jeff you got to get those because i got to get a check from cafe press and they don't give you a check to clear like you i need a check so buy a mug there it's easy it's easy it's got uh chet's logo on one side and and play with pain on the other side they're yeah. fun um <laughs> Uh, look for me on the road soon. I'm going to uh, post some tour dates. I'm going to try to get back out. Hopefully this COVID thing will stay alone. I'll get to work. Uh, yeah. Chet, how about you? You got anything cooking? Oh, brother, this weekend I'll be in Sailor's Knot, Florida, calling Drunk Duck Jumping for the You're Kidding Me wow. channel. And <laughs> sponsored by Pensacola's Our Lady of Gushing Blood Medical Center. Needless to say, there are some entry slots still available. So go down there and sign up in person. Tip of the cap to two of our longest running sponsors, Fluow, Hawaii's strongest cold medicine and <laughs> 45 hour energy drink. Live big, crash hard. This is Chet Waterhouse reminding you to play with pain. <laughs>